Now, I don't know about you guys, as you go through life, there are often things that kind of confine us, so you can feel like you're in some type of a prison or another, just because we go through difficult things in life. I was thinking one of the prisons I often find myself in is a prison of my own stupidity. It's those times I make really dumb decisions. An example, a few weeks ago, I was picking up a bunch of stuff for one of the college community group barbecues, and I had my whole cart full at Walgreens of all different kinds of stuff. And as I had walked out the front door, there was a bottle, a two-liter bottle of Sprite on top, and it was kind of like I, had, I didn't put it in there well, and I saw it making its way toward the edge. And I'm thinking to myself, I should probably grab that. You never know, like, it almost feels like slow-mo, and you're hearing your own voice in your own head. I should probably grab that. And I, I heard my own head say, nah. And the thing fell off, smashed on the pavement, and completely soaked me and everything around me. And I took a picture, because you will not believe how much Sprite came out. <laughs> it looks like a crime scene. That is a two-liter erupting. And of course, there's a dude sitting in his car watching this whole thing unfold. And I'm thinking, there's another prison of my own stupidity. And I'm convinced God gives me these as gifts so that I can entertain you in my messages. So you're welcome. But sometimes in life, we end up in prisons in different ways. And here in this series, we've been looking through the Bible at different people who are in literal prisons. And we're trying to learn from them and, and say, how can we apply what they went through to our lives? How can we learn from them? How can we grow and maybe go through it like they did, because man, some of them go through such difficult things so incredibly well. And so, so far we've looked at all different types of people, and I know I've been really encouraged as I've just been learning from these guys through Scripture. And uh, tonight I want to just kind of close this up asking one last question. It's one of the questions that we ask when we're in prison. Last week we looked at a question that John the Baptist, Baptist asked when he was in prison, right? As he was in prison and things were going terrible for him, he kind of had a moment of crisis of faith, and he said, are you even God? Like, Jesus, are you really God? And Jesus, of course, came back and said, yes, I'm God. I love you, and I have a plan in the midst of your prison. But, but here tonight, I want to talk with you about another question that we ask as we are stuck in our prison. And the, the question is this, God, isn't there another way? Isn't there another way besides what I'm going through right now? Isn't there another way? Like, all right, God, I get it. You want me to learn something. You want me to grow. You want to use me. You want me, my faith to be stretched. But isn't there some other way that you could accomplish this? Is this really the way this has to go? I have to be stuck in this prison right now? And so we say this about all different kinds of prisons in our lives. God, do I really have to be stuck in this prison of singleness right now? God, do I really have to be stuck in this prison of joblessness or of sickness or of temptation? Like, God, isn't there another way? And tonight, I really want to kind of narrow in on this idea of when we ask God, isn't there another way? And he says, no. What do we do then? How do we respond to that? When we say, God, isn't there another way besides this prison I'm stuck in? And God says, no, you are in this prison for this season on purpose. It's part of my plan for your life. What do we do then? And, and the way we answer this question is so important because I've seen lots of different people decide to do lots of different things at this point in their life. I have too. At different phases of my life, I've decided when I, when I say, God, get me out of this prison, it's almost like we come across a little bit threatening to our God. Get me out or else. Get me out or I'm going to do this, God. And what are some of the things we do? Some of the things we do is, well, one of them is we, we try to fix everything ourselves. You know, it's like God's not giving me the keys to this prison, so I got to kind of plan my own prison break. And I got my graphs and my pie chart in the back of my cell here, Lord, if you want to see them. But this is how I plan to get out of this because you're not getting me out of this. And usually that goes terribly, doesn't it, when we try to get ourselves out of our own mess? Another thing we sometimes do is maybe we'll just decide that we're going to walk away from God. 
Because if this is where it gets us to follow God, then why should we follow God? And so sometimes we walk away from God when we say, God, isn't there another way? And he says, no, this is where I have you for this season. I think another thing that's maybe not quite as extreme is we say, okay, God, I'll continue to go to church and I'll read my Bible, but I'm not going to like it. I'm going to be miserable through it. And we make everybody around us miserable and we hate the whole process. But there's a fourth option. And that's what I want to challenge you with tonight. There's another thing that you and I can do as we're wrestling with this question of God, isn't there another way? And he says, no, there's another way we can respond. And it really changes everything when we're able to decide to respond the way that God would want us to respond. So we're going to discover what that way is tonight. And I really want to hopefully challenge you to live this out as you leave here tonight. If you're not a follower of Jesus, my whole goal for you tonight is really to see what God has done for you. I want you to see the biggest prison that he ever broke us out of, and we're going to see that all through the message here tonight. So what do we do when we ask God if there's another way, and he says no? Well, we're going to learn from Jesus himself tonight. And the reason this is a big deal, like this is sure to make us, you know, listen up, especially tonight, because Jesus, his prisons are worse than any of the other prisons that we looked at. And we're going to see that really clearly as we look through the verses tonight. But the other reason we should listen and learn from Jesus is because he's Jesus, right? It's because he's God in the flesh. So far we learned from Joseph and Paul and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and John the Baptist, and they're all great, but they're not God, right? Tonight we're literally going to learn what God in the flesh does when he's locked in a prison that he doesn't want to be locked in. This past year I coached my daughter's 10 and 11-year-old girls basketball team, me. I don't know how to coach basketball. I coach baseball, kind of, sort of. I love coaching my son's baseball. I don't know anything about basketball. And so the first practice is all scheduled, and the other coach who really knows what he's doing, who kind of, I only got roped into this because he knows what he's doing, is like, I can't come for the first half hour. So I got to meet the girls and try to begin to teach them, really not knowing what I'm doing. So I'm standing there with these 10, 11-year-old girls. I'm like, this is a ball. (laughs) These are sneakers, that round thing over there. Someone's like, a rim. Yes, what she said. Shoot the ball in the thing she said, right? And so I'm kind of like sweating my way through the first half hour, and the girls are kind of half listening to me. And then all of a sudden, the other coach walks in, and everything changes. The other coach that I was working with, he has a degree in physical education. He's been a coach. He's done this before. Oh, and he's six foot eight tall. It was my dad is the other coach. And he came in, and all the girls went like this, right? And suddenly, they were half listening to me, but they were all all completely zoned in on him. And when we'd walk into the gyms on game days, and the other coaches would see me walking in with the girls behind me, like, oh, we could take these guys. And then they'd see my dad. I'd be like, that's right, we're going to crush your little 10, 11-year-old girls in the most Christian possible way. But man, everything changed when my dad walked on the court. And so... You know, it's one thing to learn from me how to play basketball. It's a very different thing to learn from him. And tonight, man, we learned from Joseph. We learned from uh, Paul and these different people. That's one thing. But Jesus is going to walk on the court tonight. We're going to see him and how he handles the prison and these difficult seasons in our lives. And so here's where Jesus is. We're going to catch up right when Jesus has finished the Last Supper. So he knows some bad things are about to happen. He knows Judas is going to betray him. He already predicted that Peter was going to deny him and leave him and abandon him. And so this is where Jesus is. And so he's in a rough spot. Matthew 26, verse 36 says this. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. 
and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Now, just the fact that Jesus is sorrowful and troubled in the midst of this actually really encourages me. Because sometimes I'm really sorrowful and troubled in life. Sometimes you're really sorrowful and troubled in life. And here is God in the flesh having trouble in his heart about some prisons that he knows he's about to face. And that just encourages me. Because I know like you and I, we, we anticipate some of the prisons in our lives too. And we get sorrowful and troubled about them, don't we, right? So let's just say maybe you have some kind of a friendship or a relationship with somebody. And you know when it starts to get funky, you can start to feel the relationship change. And you're like, this isn't going well. Like, we're going to have to have a talk here. We're going to have to figure this out. We're going to have to sit down and hash through all this. And you start to think about, man, what that's going to look like. And, man, you know, you're friends with this person, and, and that's awkward, and they're friends with so-and-so, and how's that going to affect that relationship? And you start to think about the prison that could be ahead of you. And you start to get a little bit troubled in your spirit, you know. Or it's like, you know, on that day when you have to pull aside a friend and say, look, you've been following Jesus for a while now, but you've been, like, listening to more and more country music lately, and I don't really know... Like, I'll take you to Scripture if I have to, because we'll really want to work through this stronghold in your life, you know? But those situations you look at, right? Maybe it's a, a financial thing, you know? It's like, oh, man, I'm sensing trouble in the job market. I'm sex- sensing trouble in my job or in, in uh, maybe just the ability to even get a job. Or for me, I'm thinking of my son Cade's only five years away from college, and I'm feeling that prison coming, you know? And I would keep telling my son every day, I'm like, okay, Cade, three words, scholarship, okay? Please. <laughs> now, clearly, I didn't get one because I have a hunch that's not three words. But, Cade, come on, man, do, do what you got to do. Then I got Bryn two years after that, Landon two years after that. So we're going to have this whole season of intense financial situation coming up. And you start to feel the trouble of that and the sorrow of that, right? Maybe, maybe it's a prison of sickness. Whoa, like that sickness. Maybe it's a prison of sickness. And so as you're working through this thought of like, oh man, I, I'm not feeling well. I was feeling good for a long time. I feel bad again. I feel sick again. What am I going to do? Or maybe you got bad test results back and it means surgery's coming. Like, man, that's a whole prison of itself. That's a whole thing I don't want to be in. That's a whole problem I'm not looking forward to. And so we get and understand, and there's billions of other examples that you could all give of those times in your lives when there's trouble and sorrow because of a prison that is awaiting you guys, right? But I love that Jesus gets that. In fact, in the first verse, in verse 36, it tells us that Jesus went to Gethsemane. And Gethsemane actually means oil press. And the reason that you should care about that is because the fact that it's called oil press stood for the fact that it was an olive orchard, okay? So Jesus praying in an olive orchard where they would take the olives and they would press and crush them. And here's Jesus thinking about all that's about to happen to him, thinking about how he's going to be pressed and how he's going to be crushed. In fact, as I was kind of working through this, I found a picture of what it looks like when they crush olives. Check out this picture on the screen. I know we all think of that yellow substance that ends up in the bottle, like the olive oil, but that's what it looks like when they crush olives. And here's Jesus in the garden called Olive Press. And I just wonder if he's seeing images like that, blood-like, thinking about what's going to happen to him, thinking about what's coming for him. And here he is contemplating the prisons that are ahead of him, and he's full of sorrow, and he's full of trouble, and I just love that you and I get to relate to him like that. Then he goes on. This is in verse 38. Then he said to them, 
My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Now, Jesus didn't mean that he wished that he were dead. What he's saying is, is this prison that's ahead of me, these prisons I'm about to face, man, I feel like they could kill me. I feel like these things I'm going through are so intense, they could literally kill me. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's like when you can't breathe because you're so stressed about the prison that's coming. Sometimes you can't sleep. Sometimes you can't imagine how you're going to get from A to B. How am I going to get through this? It feels like I'll die in the midst of this. And I'm so glad that the Bible tells us Jesus felt this. You know why? Because I feel like sometimes when we feel really troubled and sorrowful about some things going on in our lives, we almost feel bad about it. We almost feel like, man, if I was a stronger person, I wouldn't feel bad about what's going on in my life. I wouldn't be so troubled by this. But here's God in the flesh admitting, I'm sorrowful and troubled to the point of death. Verse 39, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed. I mean, let's just picture this, right? Jesus falls to the ground. This is not like, you know, him going, oh man, I should probably get on my knees before my father because that would look really respectful. No, he's falling on the ground in anguish over what he's about to go through, these prisons he's about to face. And here he is, kneeling down in the ground he created. Here he is, you know, with the dust that he formed Adam out of, all mingled in in his clothes and in his hair, and he's crying out to his father, And look at what it says in verse 39. And this is our question that we're talking about today. He says, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. I love that Jesus says my father because it's so intensely personal. And when you and I come to God in the midst of our trouble and our sorrow, I think God wants us to come really raw and real. He wants you to come in and not just be like, oh God, thou art this and that. He wants us to come in and be like, father, I am desperate for you right now. And so Jesus comes in, but he asks this question, right? May this cup be taken from me. In other words, what he's saying is, God, isn't there another way? Isn't there some other way than to go through what I'm going through? Can't we save mankind another way? And you might be asking, well, what's, what does it say, mean when it says, may this cup be taken from me? Well, the words this cup in the Bible often refer to God's wrath against sin. So Jesus is literally saying to his father, can you take away your wrath against sin away from me? Because he knows he's about to face a prison called our sin and shame. He knows he's about to face a prison called the wrath of the father against sin. And here he is saying, God, if there's another way, if you could find another way, Lord, please, God, please rescue me from this prison of sin. Rescue me from this prison of your wrath. Rescue me from this prison of death. Now, some of you guys might be saying, but Doug, why why does God the Father have wrath against sin? Like, isn't he supposed to be loving? Isn't he supposed to be compassionate and gracious and kind? Why does he have to have this wrath against sin? For the same reason you and I get angry about sin, right? There's a righteous anger that's supposed to well up inside you and me if a kid's being mistreated, for example. We're supposed to get mad about that. We're supposed to get angry about that. And so God has this righteous anger against sin, but here's how he's gracious and loving. Instead of taking that wrath out on you and me, he took it out on his son in our place. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope tonight you're hearing what God has done for you. And so here is Jesus asking, is there another way? And then I think in this next part, 
we really learn what to do when we sense the answer is no. When we say, God, is there another way besides this prison? And he says no. Jesus teaches us now what we're supposed to do. Look what he says. Let's finish out verse 39. He says, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. What do we see from Jesus here in this intense moment? We see surrender, right? That's our fourth option. We can get all crazy and try to work it out ourselves and bust ourselves out of the prison, make a bigger mess. We can walk away from God. We can stay in church, reading our Bible and be miserable. Or we could surrender. We say, God, I don't understand why I have to walk through this, why I have to be in this prison, why you won't take this cup from me. But I'm going to trust and I'm going to surrender to you in the midst of all this pain. And one of the things I love about this verse is that it shows us it's okay to ask that God opens the prison doors, right? Because Jesus prayed and said, would you take this from me? So it's okay for you and me to pray. God, break me out of this prison of broken relationship. Break me out of this prison of joblessness, out of financial ruin, out of temptation, out of singleness. It's okay for us to pray those things. We should. The problem is when we don't surrender, when God says no. When God says no, this prison's a part of the plan. And as we're going to see in a few minutes, maybe one day we'll even thank him for the prisons that we end up in. But this surrender that Jesus has is so important. So this is where you and I need to go, God, break me out of this prison of broken relationships, but not my will, your will be done, God. God, break me out of this issue with my job, my finances, and the schooling, and this door being shut, and that door being shut, but God, not my will, your will. My singleness, my temptation, my fears, my, my doubts, my struggles, God, Your will be done in the middle of all of this. And then verse 40 says this. Then he returned to his disciples. He found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. What do we see here? More surrender. I I even think that Jesus' tone changed, didn't it? From the last verse, it was, oh God, please take this. And now it's basically, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken, God, your will be done. It's almost like Jesus is going, I get it. I get that the answer to the question is, can you take this cup away from me? I get the answer is no to that. So God, if it's not possible, may your will be done. And we have to remember how intense this moment is, right? For Jesus, this is a huge moment. This isn't something light he's going through. This isn't like a little trial. In fact, Luke, who was one of the other gospel writers, records a part of the story that Matthew doesn't record. And Luke was a doctor, so it makes sense he would bring up this physical aspect. But look what he says about Jesus in the garden. He says, and being in anguish, he, Jesus, prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. There's a medical word for what Jesus went through. It's called hematidrosis. And basically what it is, it's under great emotional stress. The tiny capillaries rupture and they mix with the perspiration. And as that happened, just think about it, right? Where's Jesus? In the Garden of Gethsemane, there's probably crushed olives all around. Now his blood is mixed with those images. And here he is in this incredibly stressful moment. And he's still surrendering. He's still saying, let your will be done. You know, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he could actually see the temple where he was going to be tried and beaten and sentenced from where he was. And 
this medical condition that he now has where the, the drops of blood are pouring out with his sweat would actually make his skin more fragile. And so the beatings he's about to receive would be felt all the more. The crucifixion he's about to endure would be felt all the more. Matthew 26, 43. When he came back, he found, again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Well, what's the same thing? God, not my will. Your will be done. Now, you might be thinking, Doug, you missed something here. See, Doug, the, the series title is Life Lessons from Prison, and Jesus isn't in prison yet, right? He's going to be in a prison of our sin. He's going to be in a prison of God's wrath. He's going to be in a literal prison. He's going to be a prison of the cross. I mean, all these things are about to happen, but they haven't happened yet. So why are we talking about this? We're talking about this because I think it's so important that Jesus established his surrender to God before he ever set foot in the prison. You see, I think that's where you and I struggle. Jesus' surrender to his Father was established before he ever set foot in the prison. And so often, this is where I think we struggle, is we find ourselves already in the prison, and then because we're in pain and it hurts a lot, we're like, I'm not surrendering, God. I think we need to learn from Jesus here to surrender before we're even in the prison. Some of you guys tonight, you need to begin to surrender. Some of you are here today, you're going, man, I'm, life's kind of good though. You're kind of depressing me with the message here tonight about all the prisons and stuff. Life's kind of okay. Okay, then that's awesome because you're in the perfect spot to surrender to God and establish it right now. Jesus, I know that life is hard. And I know there's ups and downs. So you know what, God? I'm going to establish right now while things are good, my surrender to you. And then I'm going to trust you. And that like there's no one worth following but you here in this life. And so Jesus, I think, understood the importance of being with his father and spending that time and getting his heart right before the prison. Not that his heart would ever be wrong. That's where he's got the advantage on us. Our hearts are wrong. His heart was never wrong, but it stayed lined up because he sought his father and established that surrender. In fact, check out, let's jump back to verse 41 real quick. Look what he said. Remember what he said to his followers? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. What was Jesus saying? He's saying, hey guys, we're about to go through something here and a lot of us are gonna be tempted to run. So let's spend the night praying and seeking our Father in heaven that he would strengthen us and let's surrender our hearts to him so that we can endure this trial we're about to go through. And think about it. All his followers fell asleep. Jesus stayed up and prayed and sought his Father and surrendered his heart. All of his followers ran away and Jesus stayed strong. That surrender, that time with our Father is so important before we even get to the prison. Now, some of you are here tonight saying, well, great, Doug, I missed the boat. I'm already in the prison, and I don't know that I had surrendered my heart to God. Well, then there's no time like the present, right? There's no time like the present than to say, all right, Jesus, maybe I wasn't ready for this and I didn't see this coming, but tonight I want to surrender my heart to you. Not my will, but your will be done. Then verse 45 in Matthew 26. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, come and the son of my, uh, I'm sorry, and the son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And then I'll just summarize a few things for you. Jesus is then put in a literal prison. He's beaten. He is wrongfully accused. He is given a sentence. He is executed. He is placed in a prison of our sin. 
The Bible literally says he became sin for us. He's put in a prison of God's wrath. The wrath that you and I should have endured is placed on him. He's placed in a tomb, his last prison. But the beautiful thing about Jesus is he overcomes them all. Not one of those prisons could hold him. And he rises back from the dead. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope tonight you are seeing how much Jesus has done for you. All that he gave and all that he poured out and all that he surrendered so that you could know him, so that you could have a relationship with him, so that you could see your sins wiped away. And you know what? If you're a follower of Jesus, I hope you're just as amazed as everybody else in the room who's hearing this maybe for the first time, that Jesus has done all this for you and for me. But I also hope, if you're a follower of Jesus, that what you're seeing tonight is that surrender to God is crucial in your prison. That's our fourth option. That's what we learn from Jesus in prison, is to surrender to him, even when it's not what we want, even when it's so painful, even when we may not understand why God can't just figure out another way, that we surrender to him and we trust him. And here's what's happening when we surrender. We're taking our prison and our situation that's way bigger than us, and we're putting it in way bigger hands. You see, that's the beauty of taking the control out of our our own hands and putting it in God's. He's so much bigger, and he sees it all, and he's able to do the impossible. See, here's what I know. Some of you guys might be tonight going, Doug, I hear what you're saying. I know I should surrender, but like, what's going to happen as a result of that? What's going to be the outcome of surrendering to God in the middle of my prisons? It sounds like something I should do, but I don't know if I really want to. Well, here's what I've seen throughout Scripture. Here's what I've seen throughout my life and many other people's lives is that when we surrender to God, he does amazing things in our prisons. Just think about Jesus. The only reason you and I have any hope of salvation is because Jesus surrendered in his prison. That's what it took. And Jesus, because of his surrender, purchased salvation for you and me. Here's what I want you to hear tonight. You never know what God is going to save or do as a result of your surrender in your prison. For some of you guys, you're in the middle of a really difficult prison situation. And God is going to save someone in your office or your school or your neighborhood or your family because they watch how you go through that prison with joy and with peace. You never know what God's going to save in your prison. Maybe God's going to save and transform a relationship in, in your prison. Here, here's what I know happens a lot, right? We go through a prison season and life's really, really hard and we've made life miserable for ourselves and everybody around us. But when we surrender that prison to God, suddenly we're able to, instead of pushing away the people in our lives, actually cling to them in a special way. In fact, I've seen God put marriages back together because of a prison season. I've seen God put families back together because of those prison seasons and those difficult times. When we surrender these things to God, he has a funny way of saving the things around us. Some of you became followers of Jesus in the prison, right? I had somebody after the 1130 service walk out and say, I got saved in the prison. And she didn't mean the literal prison. She said, I was just going through a nightmare and I just began to cry out to God. And in that prison, he reached in and he saved me. You never know what God is gonna do when we surrender to him in the midst of our prison. Tim Keller said this, and I quote this a lot. He says, if we knew what God knows, we would ask exactly for what he gives. So here we are in our prison. God, isn't there another way? God says, no. Hmm, maybe 
He's answering my prayers in this prison. It doesn't feel like that while I'm in there. But maybe that's what he's going to do as a result of it. Maybe he's going to actually make complete sense out of all the things that I've been trying to put together. In fact, often in life, we're able to get to the other side of the prison experience and go, oh man, that's what God was up to. And that's what heaven is going to be for like all eternity. We're going to be walking up to each other going, oh, that's what God was up to. Joey, oh man, remember when that whole building situation happened? That's what God was doing. Oh man, remember when we were praying for that family member, that loved one, and we were praying as a church, and man, things didn't go the way we wanted, but that's what God was doing for all eternity. We'll be discovering, oh, that's what his plan was. And our surrender here and now is so important. Tim Keller also said this, love this. Jesus lost all his glory so that we could be clothed in it. He was shut out so we could get access. He was bound, nailed so that we could be free. He was cast out so we could approach. And Jesus took away the only kind of suffering that can really destroy you. That is being cast away from God. He took that. So now all suffering that comes into your life will only make you great. A lump of coal under great pressure becomes a diamond and the suffering of a person in Christ only turns you in to somebody gorgeous. And that's what Jesus does. He turns all these broken, terrible prisons into something gorgeous and beautiful. And often we don't see that process while we're sitting in the prison cell, but we get to see it from the other side. And at the very least, we get to see it in eternity. And so just like Jesus, we've got to become people who surrender in our prison cells, who even surrender before we get there maybe and say, okay, God, I wish there were another way. I wish you could do something else, God. I wish that you could get me from point A to point B in a completely different fashion. But God, I'm going to surrender anyway. And some of you guys may be saying, Doug, I'd love to do that, but how do I do that? Here's a couple ways you do it. You look to his word. You've got to be reading the Bible because you know what you're going to find as you read the Bible? You're going to find people who are in similar prisons that you are and they surrender to God and then you can see all that God does as a result of it. You guys also, you got to be looking around at each other. You got to be looking to each other's lives and saying, man, I've seen people here in this room. Like I, I, I literally can look around the room right now and see people in this room who are going through something difficult and surrendered and God did something beautiful out of it. So we got to look to each other's stories and let those motivate us when we can't see our own way forward. We've also got to look to our past and say, okay, God's going to come through because he's come through before in my life. He's already done this. I've already been in prisons and I've surrendered those prisons to God and he has come through in such awesome ways. And this is what I'm doing with my wife's health right now. And this is what I'm doing with our current building situation as we're moving out of here in a few months and we need God to lead us to something bigger and better here on Long Island. It's me just looking to the word and saying, all right, God, I see you moving mountains. I see you parting seas. You got to do that for us. All right, God, I can look around at my friends in my church and see the ways you've done it for them. I can, I can see times in my past where you've come through. I'm just going to surrender these to you. This past week, I had a really important meeting about our, a, a potential future for our church. And I'm driving to this meeting, and I'm nervous, and I'm praying, and I'm praying down heaven over this meeting, man. I'm just praying this and that, and I'm crying out to God, and I'm saying this shall be, and this shall be, and that shan't be, and I'm like going all Gandalf speech on. I don't even care, you know. Thou shalt not pass, whatever it takes, you know. So I'm just, I'm just praying and crying out to God, you know. And toward the end of my prayer, and I have to be honest, the first, I was probably praying for about a half hour, just driving around. And for the first 25 minutes, it was like kind of intense. And sometimes prayer is intense and it's kind of a battle, but it was super stressed. And then I kind of just felt God impressed on my heart. Doug, 
You need to surrender this to me. And so I stopped all my these and thous and chants and shall nots. And I said, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. And God, you know if this property would be great for us or it would be a nightmare for us. And I can claim it all I want, but I don't want it unless you're claiming it for me and our church. And so God, your kingdom come, your will be done. Not my will, but let your will be done. And there's such a peace in that and a surrender that we're able to just bring these things to God and say, God, this is your problem. I'm in this prison on your plan for this time, so you're the one with the key, God. And so I'm going to surrender it all to you. I'm going to place it in much bigger hands and watch what you're going to do. And so if you're stuck in some kind of prison tonight, I just hope you know that surrender to God is crucial in that prison. And I hope that all of us are coming around the beautiful sacrifice of Jesus for us. And we're realizing the only reason any of us have a hope or a shot at salvation is because Jesus surrendered in his prison and even before his prison. Every one of us has sin that separates us from God. And Jesus endured that sin and that wrath in our place so that we could go free. If you want to put your trust in Jesus tonight, I'm going to give you a chance to do that in a minute. And it's about what God's doing in your heart. I'm going to give you some words to say to respond to Jesus, but Jesus saves you, not a prayer. And so tonight, I hope that you'll respond if you've never put your trust in him. But if you're a follower of Jesus, what do you need to surrender? What situations have you been sitting around going, God, isn't there another way? Can't you get me through this some other way? Isn't there another option? And maybe God, to this point, has been quiet, or he said no very clearly, or he said wait very clearly. And now it's time for you to surrender that thing and see what God might do. His hands are so much bigger than yours. He sees what you and I can never see, and he's trustworthy. And so will you surrender? Surrender to God is crucial in your prison. Let's pray together. God, help us tonight. Sometimes the things we walk through are so overwhelming, and they lead us to sorrow. They lead us to trouble. They lead us to falling down on the ground on our face and crying out because we don't know what else to do. Some of us in the room are feeling good, and we don't have a current prison. But I pray tonight, whether we find ourselves inside the prison or awaiting a prison or feeling like there's not even one on the horizon, that we would establish our surrender in you, and we would spend that time with you, Father, that you would strengthen us because, man, the the temptations come, and the flesh is weak. And we need you, God, to sustain us in our prisons. So would you pray about your prisons tonight? Or maybe some prisons you sense are on the horizon if you're a follower of Jesus. Would you establish that surrender? And if you're not a follower of Jesus tonight, you want to put your trust in him, would you just maybe begin to talk to God in some some way like this, just quiet between you and him. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for enduring the literal prison for me, the prison of my sin, the prison of God's wrath against sin that I should have endured. Thank you for enduring the cross. Thank you for enduring the prison of the grave and for busting out of that, for rising back from the dead and purchasing my salvation. God, tonight I just turn from my sin and I look to you. I ask you to save me and empower me to live a different way. Thank you for this gift of salvation in your name.